Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, all you beautiful Journey listeners. I just wanted to say a quick thank you for all your support. I hear you, and it's amazing. Now I'd like to ask you for one more thing. As I've said in each episode, you can support my kind-hearted guide, Nidijan, with a follow on his Instagram. And I've seen that you've been doing that, and that's really cool. He loves it. But something I noticed is that the picture quality on Nidijan's phone is somewhat lacking. And it's no good being in heaven on earth if you don't have a decent camera to capture it with. I asked him what camera he had, and he said it's very old, but he hopes to get a better one at some point in the future. And I felt that. Remember, wages in Nepal are a fraction of ours. Well, I want to do something for Nidajan, and I'd love your support. I want to get him a new phone. Something that can more vividly show the beauty of that place. I'm going to put up the first month's ad revenue for Journey, which is about 200 New Zealand dollars. And I'll do this through a Give a Little page. And if you want to show your support and appreciation for what Nidijan does, I'd like to invite you to make a small donation and be sure to leave a message of support. You'll find the link in the description of this episode. I'm going to leave that Give a Little page open for about three weeks. And we'll also hear from Nidijan himself in an interview later in the podcast. It's not charity, it's recognition for his kindness and beautiful human spirit. Any amount of support is amazing and appreciated. However much we raise, we'll buy the best phone that amount can purchase. And I can't wait to see his Instagram come to life. Thank you so very much. On the last episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. I think more could be done from our point of view as travellers in showing our appreciation for what these guys do because really we're just, we're visitors to their country and without them we would be very quickly humbled. So be humble, be nice. And for God's sakes, give them a good tip if you do use a porter. These guys are all setting up tents here for the night. Tomorrow they're going to be making the pass up across and over the other side. So pretty extreme. It's going to be cold tonight, but good weather. And on the other side, Mount Everest in all its glory. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, 
And this is Journey. I can't quite believe it, but the never-ending night has finally come to an end. My body is in such a state of relief that day has arrived, but also shock that it's gone more or less two nights now with no sleep. I gingerly swing my legs out of bed and just sit for a moment. Get up, Ryan. Get moving. That's the only way forward at this point. In the lounge, I find Nidijan and Hanky sitting down to order their breakfast. I can only imagine what I probably look like, but the genuine look of sympathy on their faces tells me I probably look like shit. I tell them, yeah, I had the night from hell, but I'm okay. I just need to keep moving. I'll be fine. Like the previous lodge I stayed in in Gokyo, this place... The Mountain Lodge is in an amazing spot, but is even closer to the water's edge. And the lounge windows have equally stunning 180-degree views of Gokyo Lake and the snow-capped peaks beyond. Again, I have no appetite. I literally can't even force myself to eat at this point. My main focus is water, and lots of it. Anytime you receive advice on how to avoid or treat altitude sickness, you'll always be told to drink as much water as you can, and then have some more. I don't know the exact physiological reasons, but your body is just working so much harder at altitude. Because the air is thinner, in Gokyo it's only about 50% of sea level, your body needs to work twice as hard to get oxygen to your vital organs. This can lead to dehydration. Plus, water helps thin the blood, which also improves oxygenation. So today, we have a two-pronged plan of attack. The first is to climb Gokyo-ri Peak. As mentioned before, this is considered one of the highlights of this particular base camp trek. It's a 5,450 metre peak that sits right next to Gokyo Settlement. It's not snow-capped and jagged and doesn't require any technical skill. It's more of a huge dirt and stone hill. But the hike to the top will reward with what are considered to be some of the best views of Mount Everest on the entire trek. Once we've knocked this one off, We'll stop for lunch back at the lodge before packing our gear and tackling the next section of the trail towards base camp. But this section isn't like the others. In fact, it's the most beautiful and the most dangerous. We'll be navigating 2.1 kilometers of shifting ice, 
rock, and stone. When we cross the Nongzupa Glacier on the way to our next stop, Thangnang. Fortunately for me, Thangnang is at the same altitude as Gokyo. This means, in terms of physiological stress on the body, it's effectively another climatization day. The only downside to this being that once you cross the glacier, the only way back down is to come back across. So if I were to crash in the middle of the night, we would have to make the unstable, dangerous crossing to get back to Gokyo before I could then descend to a lower altitude. So yeah, not ideal. For now though, we're going to climb Gokyo Ri. And despite feeling very average, I'm 100% up for it. I'm confident that once I get moving, I'll get some O2 back in my system and feel much better. Oh, if only that's how it happened. It's only a short few minute walk down from the lodge along the edge of the beautiful Gokyo Lake and straight into the climb up Gokyo Ri. It's not a climb that starts easy and gradually gets harder. No, it's just straight up from the outset. Approximately three hours zigzagging to the peak. We're travelling light, so it's just a light jacket and camera. But almost immediately, I realise something is not right. I've never felt so incapacitated in my life. My body is doing its best to drag in huge breaths, but my limbs just have nothing. No power. Every step is slow and laboured. It's one foot in front of the other. This time, it's Hanky leaving me in her dust. Oh, how the tables have turned. The thing with me is I'm frustratingly independent. I don't like help, and I never ask for it. I've always wanted to do everything on my own, and I simply can't stand people having to wait for me. I tell them, look, I'm seriously struggling, but I'm okay. I feel fine, I just have no breath. I can only climb a minute or so at a time before I need to take a break. Go on ahead, I say. I'll just slowly make my way up. You just get to the top. But Nidijan, he really finds this tough. For him, it's very difficult to leave anyone behind. Even here in this spot, where there really is nothing that can go wrong. It's just a big hill. There are no cliffs or other silliness I can get myself into. Hanky goes on ahead, but Nidijan, the forever faithful guide, keeps pausing and waiting before I finally convince him that I'm fine. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to the top. I'll just go as far as I can. Eventually, grudgingly, he agrees and continues on with Hanky. But I still see him stop in the distance at times, unsure. I plug on. A minute walk, then a minute rest. It really is difficult to explain what it feels like. My legs don't hurt, 
There's no lactic acid. But they just won't move. It's incredibly frustrating. Soon enough, Hanky and Nidijan disappear over a crest and out of view. It's another stunning day. And the views here are just beyond spectacular. I find a big boulder and prop myself against it. Checking my watch, I can see that based on my current elevation, there is still a long way to go. Yesterday, I would have flown up here. Renjo Pass was not difficult for me. But today, couldn't be more different. I take some time to consider my situation. I could continue to push on to the top, which I dearly want to do. But the reality is, at the pace I'm currently going, it will take me hours. Plus, there's the risk that doing so will push me over the edge, past that red line, that once crossed, there's no coming back. It could also accelerate my altitude sickness into something far worse. But to not continue would mean not summiting Gokyo-ri, which is considered the highlight of this entire route and really tears me up. I have a belief that you should always make the most of every opportunity like this. I've learned this the hard way, and now it's like a code for me. You'll likely only ever be here once. Think about how hard it's been to get here. When you're back home, comfortably lying in bed, do you think you'll think, oh, I'm glad I didn't bother doing that because I was a bit tired that day? Or it was raining a bit too hard? Or it was cold? Bullshit. I know damn well that I'd give anything to go back to that moment. Whatever it is, and suck it up. You'll never get those moments back. And you'll never look back and say, oh, I wish I didn't do that because it was so tiring. You'll say, shit, I'm so proud of myself for pushing through. Well, now I'm faced with one of these moments. Four or five times, I forced myself up and continued on. But each time, it got harder and harder. You'll forever be angry at yourself if you give up, Ryan. I needed to know, without a doubt, with no reservation, that I had literally given it everything, given the context, that I could live with. And I can say right now, as I sit here writing this, that even though it seriously guts me that I didn't, I know that day I made the right choice when I finally took a step, looked up the slope one last time, turned and started back down. Nidijan had continually told me that if I don't feel good, I should turn back. But I had to know that I'd given it everything. I never did make it to the top of Gokyori. But spoiler, I did make it to Everest. 
and I don't regret my decision to turn back that day. I limped back into the lodge a full two hours before the others. It turns out there was even further to go than I'd thought, making me feel even better about my decision to turn back. Filling up a fresh bottle of water, I drank the whole thing, then curl up in the fetal position in a nice warm corner of the lounge, the sun beating in on my face. Then, after about an hour, a curious thing happens. Suddenly, I start to feel better. I check my O2 levels and I'm shocked to see for the first time in days they're back at a decent level in the 80s. Perhaps the climb then descent of Gokyo has done me some good. I'm actually acclimatizing and it feels fantastic. Nidijan is visibly relieved at this news on his return. He still hadn't made the final decision on whether we would be continuing to Thang Nang today. If I was still in a bad way, we would likely have had to stay in Gokyo another night. But this would have made the following day a long one, as we would have had to skip Thang Nang and go straight on to tackle Chola Pass in the same day. Thankfully, that won't be the case. So we order some lunch and head off to our rooms to prepare our packs for the next challenge. Although you can't see it, the settlement of Gokyo sits literally right next to the Nonzupa Glacier. When a glacier moves, it picks up rocks, boulders and soil and carries them along with the ice. As the glacier melts, it drops these materials, creating a pile of debris known as a moraine. Directly behind Gokyo, the southernmost moraine of the Nonzupa Glacier dwarfs the settlement and shields any view of what lies beyond. Saying goodbye to Gokyo, we swing on our packs and walk out of the village and make our way up one side of this huge moraine. And what we see when we reach the top, to be honest, absolutely floored me. I didn't really have any idea of what to expect when crossing the glacier. I guess, naively in my mind, I just imagined a flat, white section of ice and snow. Well, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Standing on the precipice of this moraine ridge... Below us, and extending into the distance in either direction, is what can only be described as the surface of another planet. Except this planet is a barren, harsh, rocky nightmare. Huge piles of stone are interspersed with small, green, icy lakes. A low-hanging cloud gives the feeling of steam just adds to the otherworldly sense. The cold wind is tearing at our jackets and faces as it rushes down this valley of stone and ice. From what I can see looking down, there is no trail. But somehow, we have to get from where we are at the top of this moraine cliff to the other side of the glacier, some two kilometres across, 
as me and Hanky stare somewhat shocked, Nidijan starts creeping over the edge of the cliff. Hang on. Are we going down here? I ask. I'd assumed that we'd make our way along the ridge until we found an actual path down. Yes, this is the way. Nidijan replies as he edges down the rocky slope. Hanky and I look at each other and share an oh shit, he's serious moment before she cautiously follows him down. The thing is, that from where we're standing at the top of the cliff, it looks to be around 100 metres down to the glacier to where we need to get. And the steep slope is made up of precariously loose gravel and rock. The path Nidijan is following is no more than a one foot wide goat trail that zigzags its way to the bottom. It's steep and unforgiving. To lose your balance and fall here would mean a serious tumble over large rocks and into the boulders below. I'm genuinely shocked that this is the way. But there's a reason why this section of the trail is so sketchy. Glaciers move. Constantly. The path taken today will likely not exist in a few weeks. Underneath all this rock are hundreds of metres of ice, and it's slowly sliding down the slope crushing, melting and cracking along the way. There really are only two options. Either don't come this way or pick a path and get moving. There's no time to fuck around here where a new crevasse or hole could open at any time swallowing everything above it. It truly is the most inhospitable place I've ever encountered. Safely reaching the base of the cliff, the piles of stone now look like mountains. We move on and some points literally hopping from boulder to boulder. Nidijan pausing occasionally, like a dog sniffing the breeze, using his Nepalese sixth sense to guide him on the correct path. Make a good choice, make a good choice, I think, before suddenly he heads off in a new direction. As we climb up the side of another huge stone hill, One side of it has at some point in the not-so-distant past completely caved in, and the ice apparently collapsing and creating a huge ice crater with a small lake at its bottom. Imagine if you can, hundreds of mini volcano craters dotted along the landscape. And that's a pretty good description. I pause for only a moment to get out my camera 
and a big section of stone and rock shears off and falls into this ice crater. Then I realise that right now, we're literally standing on the edge of the other side of this crater. Our piece could cave in just as dramatically. I adjust my line as far from the edge as possible and pick up my steps even faster. I ask Nidijan how long it should take to cross, thinking we're making pretty good pace. Still another two hours. Shit. This is truly gnarly. During this time, I did take plenty of video, and I'll share this on my socials. But sadly, I didn't record any podcast-specific audio. My mind was focused elsewhere. And if I'm honest, I was still not feeling 100%. The other thing with this area, as it is down below ground level, it has absolutely no cell service. If you were trekking through here solo and were to take a fall and break an ankle or tumble into one of these ice craters, there would be no way to contact anyone for your rescue. You'd just have to try and survive until the next person found you. And with temperatures in this area dropping as low as minus 20 Celsius, a simple fall could quite possibly end up being your last. But at the same time as all this, it's truly beautiful. In a stark, rugged, scary way. And I absolutely love it. After two hours of picking our way through this labyrinth of stone, finally we come to the other side and another narrow path leading up. Overhanging this path, however, is a giant cliff of loose rock and stone. Small stones and many landslides fall almost constantly right through the path, which itself makes its way over the top of huge previous landslides. Nidijan and I hurry up the path, grateful to be out from under that foreboding face of rock. And we wait as Hanky slowly makes her way up this last section, shouting encouragement as we nervously watch another small rock tumble down from the crumbling slope above. Looking back down and across the glacier from the safety of the other side, it really feels like we can let out a nervous breath. I feel like a Treyu from the never-ending story after he passes the Sphinx Gate. One deadly obstacle down, but there are more to come. The landscape has now changed dramatically, and we follow the dirt trail as it rolls easily through short alpine grasses, littered with boulders that have left their homes on the cliffs far above on either side. From here, it's only a short walk, but I can feel myself fading. It's been a huge and eventful couple days with little sleep. 
and I'm starting to hit the wall. After what seemed a very long 30 minutes, we arrive in Thang Nang, which is not so much a settlement, but rather just three small stone lodges. Thang Nang is the gateway to the famous Chola Pass, which we'll be climbing tomorrow, and is the highest point on the official Gokyo Ri Trail at 5,420 metres. It's actually higher than Everest Base Camp by 56 metres. As it's the last stop before the pass, it's used by most trekkers and climbers, and our small lodge is absolutely buzzing with activity. After dropping our packs in our rooms, we find that the lounge is the place to be. The yak dung fire is being used to great effect. It's warm and cosy. And the room is packed with trekkers of all different varieties. I see a family with two relatively small children. Jesus, how did they get here? A group of German trekkers make up another large table. And then in another corner, the hippie table have a guitar out. And a mountain man with long hair serenades the group and the room with a fine rendition of Sweet Caroline. It's still too early for dinner, and I'm exhausted. So decide to sneak off to my room and try to sleep for an hour. I feel tired, but not overly miserable. That good level of exhaustion, where you know a nice sleep is just around the corner. I swing my door halfway closed and lie down on the top of my bed. God, that feels good. But just as I'm about to fall asleep, a tiny head slowly peers through my open door. And seeing me, and thinking I'm asleep, a wee Sherpa child tiptoes around the door and mischievously flicks on the light before darting back out the door. He isn't more than six or seven years old, and he plays this game a few times, before growing tired of that and deciding it's time for me to wake up. And I really need to see this amazing piece of metal that he's found somewhere. Pulling out my phone for a selfie, he quickly grabs it off me and starts flipping through photos and apps like a pro. And of course, then YouTube. They do have some internet up here, and he certainly knows how to use it. You block again. Yeah. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> it looks like I won't be getting that hour's sleep, but it's a good rest anyway. When I do make my way back to the lounge, the hippie leader has now gone full tribal on the guitar and hot meals are starting to pour out. As I sit down, we all turn when we hear a different singing coming from outside. Never wanting to miss a moment, I jump up, grab my camera, and head out the door to find a group of Sherpa women singing a welcoming song to all the guests in the lodge.
It's freezing cold outside, and they're dressed in traditional robes and headwear. It really is a very special moment for me, and they happily let me take some video before they move on to the next lodge. But sadly for me, that good feeling is quickly forgotten. I'm starting to feel like crap again. Checking my O2 levels, I can see that again, they're starting to slide. And that's terrifying. Because after the last two days, I truly fear the night. I'm able to eat some of my noodles and take on a heap of water. Nidajan has some advice, and that's to try and stay up as late as possible. Don't go to bed too early. But this is much easier said than done. At this point, after two days with little to no sleep, I'm shattered. I'm really trying to put on a brave face, but I feel a lot worse than I'm probably letting on. And I slink off to bed long before everyone else, secretly hoping that maybe, just maybe, my sheer exhaustion will win out and I'll get some sleep. If only. If my previous night was the worst night of my life, this one is a close second. And I toss and turn the entire night. The headache and nausea aren't quite as bad, but it's enough that for another night, I don't get a single wink of sleep. So far, the Diamox doesn't appear to have had any effect for me. But the other issue is I'm trying to drink so much fluid that I'm up having to pee ten times a night, which adds to the restlessness. Your mind can drift to some dark places when you're alone in the night. Normally, I'm able to exchange a few messages with my fiancé Ashley before bed, and it's good to raise the spirits a bit. But that's not the case today. Up here in the high mountains, there's no longer any cell service, so my Nepalese SIM card is useless now. There's an option called Everest Link, which is an internet service that supposedly works right through the upper section. It's not cheap, but in theory seemed a good idea, so I'd bought it in Tokyo, And it worked okay in some spots, but turns out it doesn't actually work in most places. And since leaving Tokyo, it's been dead. Instead, most lodges will offer a paid internet service. As you can imagine, it's incredibly unreliable. I mean, we're literally only 20 kilometers from Mount Everest. But as I've already paid for Everest Link, I didn't really want to pay again every day for the lodge internet. So what this means is I haven't been able to let Ashley know how I am. For her, it's just sudden radio silence. The last time we messaged, I was not well. And she also knows the risks up here. But she also knows that internet service is patchy. You never want to think the worst. But to abruptly hear nothing 
she was starting to get concerned. And as it turns out, this radio silence would continue for not one, not two, but three days. Anytime you take on an adventure like this, with any element of risk, more often than not, it's your loved ones that carry the most fear, the most worry. And most of the time, that fear is unwarranted. But sometimes, it is. Journey is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced, and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. You'll find posts with photos and videos dedicated to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can support my guide, Nidijan, with a follow on his Instagram, where he puts up amazing daily photos of his current treks. You'll find his Instagram and further details about this trek in the description of every episode. For ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release, you can subscribe to our Brevity Plus channel on Apple Plus, or you can subscribe to Journey with a one-off payment on Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of this episode. On the next episode of Journey. Right, so we've made it up stage stage one of the Chola Pass, but we're not even really at the pass yet, so apparently we need to go over there, which doesn't really look possible. So maybe that might be another option over there, but either way, things are about to get pretty hairy, I think. Yeah. <coughs>